So clearly today's message is about Gethsemane. And uh, there's a lot of different thoughts that come with the name. Uh, usually we think of it as a uh, time of suffering. Uh, if you look at the hymns where it's used, often associated in our minds with uh, the suffering of the Lord Jesus for our sins. But uh, in truth, Gethsemane was more of a, a time of trial, uh, a time of uh, temptation, if you would, a time of prayer. Um, and so I selected a hymn that I felt reflected those thoughts a little bit more uh, than that of suffering. Clearly, it was a difficult time for the Lord Jesus, and, uh, but it was not part of his sufferings for our sins. It was really more of the anticipation of his suffering for our sins uh, that was taking place at that time. Um, a lot of you here have known me for a long time. Uh, some of you have actually known me uh, from before uh, the time I was saved and might be familiar with the story. To some of you, it might be a new story. But um, before being saved, I was a student in Berkeley. And uh, I met a young lady uh, who is now my wife. For that, I'm very grateful. But uh, at the time, um, there was some confusion because I was interested in her, uh, as, as young men are often interested in, uh, in young women. Uh, but I was not a Christian, and she was. And the best thing I can say about the relationship at the time was that the Lord did use it uh, to bring me to him. Uh, it's not something you can count on. I do not recommend evangelistic dating. Uh, it's just as likely to lead to uh, being unequally yoked for the rest of your life, which would put a big uh, stumbling block for you in, in uh, serving the Lord. But in my case, I did get saved. But after I got saved, it was like the Lord kept pricking at that relationship I had uh, with Sharon and showing that it really wasn't of him. I uh, did it in various subtle ways. The final one, uh, which kind of clinched it for me, was going to a Christian wedding. And in the Christian wedding, there was the testimony of how the Lord brought two believers together with a desire of honoring him. And their wedding was really something that honored the Lord. And I looked at my relationship with Sharon, I could tell it wasn't the same. And, um, you know, we talked about it. Um, and uh, I remember calling uh, Rick Bellis, who was the elders I, I was uh, being discipled under at the time. And, and he confirmed what, what uh, I felt, what we felt, that it wasn't, our, our relationship just wasn't of the Lord and that we needed to break it up. And, and so that was one of the perhaps biggest, maybe the single largest conflict I had in my life where there was something I wanted, and very clearly it was not what God wanted. And, uh, and, and so I could call it a trial or a temptation. Um, what do you do when you know what God wants and you know what you want and they're not the same thing? And we have an opportunity today as we look at the passage to see how the Lord Jesus uh, dealt with that particular conflict in his life. <clears throat> uh, with that, uh, turn, if you haven't already, to Matthew uh, chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, where we've been 
for some time. In verse 36, we start the passage of today. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place uh, in the Gospel of John. It uh, tells us it's a garden, uh, which the Lord Jesus has actually already frequented in the past. He and his disciples went there, probably a place of retreat. It was on the Mount of Olives. Uh, Matt showed us the, uh, a map of it last week. I wasn't uh, as prepared this week. But uh, it was on the Mount of Olives, close to Jerusalem. Uh, and it's believed to have contained olive trees. It doesn't say so in the scriptures. But it was called Gethsemane, which literally means oil press. Oil press. So that's where they would take olives and, and squeeze them together, probably using two you know, big rocks, and, and the oil of the olives would come out. So that was probably the origin of the name. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. So he arrived there. He was with the disciples. If you remember, they just celebrated the Passover together. The Lord Jesus instituted uh, the Lord's Supper with the bread and the cup. Last week, Matt took us through their uh, trip from the upper room uh, where they had the uh, Passover meal to Gethsemane, and Jesus was preparing them, telling them <clears throat> they would all be made to stumble because of him that night. Peter specifically was told he would deny the Lord uh, three times. And now they arrived. Jesus says, you sit here while I go and pray over there. In one of the other Gospels, it says he went a stone throw away from them. So as far as you can throw a stone, um, you know, maybe 100 feet if you have a good arm. Uh, that's how much further Jesus went beyond them. It said he took with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be uh, James and John. Uh, it's uh, always interesting when Jesus is making a distinction. If you remember, Peter, James, and John were the ones that Jesus took with him on the mountain. And uh, thank you, Nessia, <laughs> my faithful helper. And... Um, so they got to go on the mountain of transfiguration. They got to see Jesus changing uh, into uh, his true form. Uh, his face uh, shone like the sun. His clothes became as white uh, as snow. And it showed him in his glory. The Father spoke to him audibly. He was speaking with Moses and Elijah. And they got to see Really, Jesus coming in the power of his kingdom alone of all the disciples, no one was privileged to that view of him. Today, or in that particular hour, they got to see his humanity more than any of the other disciples. Right? They were the ones who were closest to Jesus, and so Jesus entrusted them with this view of himself, which the others uh, did not get to see, and which we're privileged today to get to see as well, the humanity of the Lord Jesus really more clearly than we see anywhere else in the scriptures. <clears throat> We're told, and he began to be sorrowful and 
deeply <coughs> distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Uh, Jesus was pressed at this time. Uh, as the olives that were being pressed by two rocks, he was, if you would, being squeezed by two things. One was God's desire for him. He knew uh, what God's desire for him was. In John 12, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Jesus did not want to die on the cross, right? Any human being in his right mind would not want to die on the cross. It held no attraction to him. He, he didn't want to be uh, tortured by the Romans. Uh, he didn't want to suffer physical death. He didn't want to have the sins of the world put upon him and be judged by God for that, right? As a man... He didn't want that experience. None of us would want that experience. And yet, that is what God wanted him to do. And he said, this is why I came. Right? That was the very purpose of his coming. But there still was the conflict between his desires as a man and God's desires for him. And uh, that's why it says he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed, and even saying, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, to be so sorrowful that you want to die. Uh, if anyone else said it, I would say that's an exaggeration. You don't really want to die. In Jesus' case, it was not an exaggeration. That is how sorrowful Jesus was. In Luke, it says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Describing Jesus' agony at the time that the sweat was coming out of the pores of his skin and either appeared as great drops of blood. Some people believe blood was actually being mingled in his sweat. That's the level of stress that Jesus was under at the time. In Hebrews 5, it says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So clearly, Jesus was going through a tremendous stress at this time. If we look at his prayer, it says that he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus prayed, uh, you could say, for two things. Or, you know, if you would, a conditional prayer. He said, let this cup pass from me, 
would mean basically let the cross pass away, right? I don't want to die on the cross. The cross holds no attraction to me. You know, let it go away. Like if I was to offer you a drink that you didn't want, you'd say, I don't want it. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. He says, don't, don't do it, right, because I want it, right? Rather, let your will be done. If it is your will for me to go to the cross, I will do it. Jesus wasn't disobeying his father. He wasn't showing a desire to disobey his father. He just expressed honestly what he felt. He didn't want the cross, but if it was the father's will for him to go to the cross, he would go to the cross. He was perfectly obedient to his father. Jesus uses the word, if it be possible. Jesus himself said that all things are possible with God. So there is nothing that God in his power cannot do, but God will not do something that goes against his character, right? God will not sin. God will not lie, right? God will not do something to cause somebody else to sin or lie. God is not going to do something that's going to cause uh, an innocent person to suffer, right? Because it goes against God's character. And so when Jesus said, if it be possible, what he meant is, if within your person, within your character, within your perfect will for the salvation of mankind, it's possible for me not to go to the cross, then let me not go to the cross. And so when we see that God, in a sense, is silent in response to this prayer, and he allows Jesus to proceed to the cross, we understand that it was not possible. There was no way for God to accomplish his purpose in saving us without Jesus going to the cross. Paul says this in Galatians 2. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. There are some people who felt at the time, and some people who feel today, that we can be good enough to go to heaven without Jesus. We don't really need Jesus. If we could just be good enough, right? if I can keep the law good enough, if I can be basically a good person, God will let me into heaven without Jesus, right? Well, that means Jesus died in vain. He didn't have to die. If we could go to, if there was any way for us to go to heaven without Jesus dying on the cross, God would not have sent Jesus to the cross. He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. The answer is, it's not possible. Uh, Michael led us this morning in the breaking of bread with similar thoughts, right? He, he said, when we were without strength, right, describing a person who cannot get up on their own. They need someone else to help them. We were without strength. We cannot make ourselves good enough to go to heaven by ourselves. In fact, we really can't help ourselves at all. It has to be the work of the Lord Jesus. Jesus had to die for our sins in order for it to be possible for us to go to heaven. 
And so, in a sense, God does not answer this prayer. Now, it doesn't mean uh, that this prayer was without value. Uh, We are uh, told in the passage we read in Hebrews that his prayer was answered, right? The father was listening to the son as the son was praying this prayer to the father. The father appreciated what Jesus had to say as Jesus expressed himself and, and the agony he was in and his desire not to go to the cross unless it was God's will for him to do so, unless it was the only way of salvation. God appreciated that prayer. He was listening. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, it mentions that during this time of prayer, an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And I have no doubt the angel came because it was the Father's will for the angel to come and to strengthen Jesus. It's, it's hard to imagine, right, Jesus needing anyone to strengthen him uh, during this time. And again, it, it points to the humanity of the Lord Jesus, an aspect of him we don't often think about. But uh, God felt it proper during this time to strengthen his son and to help him during this time. This was um, kind of like a waiting room, right? Jesus went in to the Garden of Gethsemane, a free man, and he was going to leave Gethsemane in chains and uh, being led eventually uh, to the cross. And uh, God sustained him during those three hours of agony as he was praying to the Father. And his prayer to the Father was answered, at least in one way, by the angel being there, strengthening the Lord Jesus, helping him through those three hours he had to endure and await for Judas to appear with the multitude with swords and clubs who were going to lead him again eventually uh, to the cross. So it was an important uh, time for the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus then uh, uh, did tell Peter and James and John, at the very least, to stay here and watch with me. Right? He wanted them to join in the prayer. And we're told in verse 40, uh, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter uh, specifically was uh, in danger of, of denying the Lord because the Lord already foretold it, right? If you remember in the previous passage, uh, passage uh, Jesus told the disciples that all of them will be made to stumble because of him. Uh, to stumble is not a good thing. The, the faith in God was called into question. They would, in fact, for the next three days until Jesus' resurrection, be in serious doubt as to the Messiahship of Christ and uh, whether their faith placed in him was in vain. And uh, Peter uh, was told that he was going to deny the Lord three times. We'll see that fulfilled in the next chapter, maybe later on in this chapter, where uh, 
uh, maidservant and others will approach Peter and uh, say, you were also with Jesus of Galilee, weren't you? And he'll say, I don't know the man. Right? He will deny any association uh, with the Lord Jesus. That it was a temptation that was coming upon Peter and really on all the disciples as the shepherd was being struck, the sheep of the flock were going to be scattered. But they had an opportunity to watch and pray, to recognize Jesus has warned them about this event uh, for many days and, uh, and really just minutes before they entered uh, the garden, they could hear the Lord Jesus crying out to his father. They should have known what was coming and they could recognize the weakness of the, the flesh, their temptation to sin in, uh, in doubting the Lord, in denying the Lord, and they could pray and ask God to help them to overcome the temptation that was coming upon them. And so Jesus urged them to do it, but when he comes back after an hour of praying himself, he finds them all asleep and, uh, and therefore tells Peter uh, to watch and pray lest he enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing and the flesh is weak. Uh, he recognizes the, uh, the weakness we have as people, the weakness that I experienced when I desired uh, to stay with my girlfriend at the time, and yet recognizing God's desire for me to, to let that relationship go, to put it aside. It was an important opportunity for me to grow closer to the Lord, to mature before seeking for a, a wife after his own heart. And, uh, and the key uh, for victory, the Lord Jesus tells us, is prayer, uh, to watch and pray. We don't have the strength in ourselves. We talked about the need for the strength of the Lord Jesus for salvation. We were without strength. We also need the Lord's help to overcome uh, sin in our life on a regular basis. As we come to temptation, as we come to trials, we need his help. Uh, looking back today, I am amazed that I put aside the relationship I had with Sharon uh, and, and was, you know, apart from her for a couple of years before the Lord brought us back together. I don't credit that to myself. I don't think I did that in my own strength. I think that was God's strength enabling me to put that relationship aside, right? It's not something that people have it in their strength to do. Uh, I find this to be the case with me daily. Uh, daily I face temptation. And uh, the key to victory is to look to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 121 says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. That is our source of help. If you want strength in times of trials, you have to look to God. Hebrews 2 tells us, for in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. It's speaking of the Lord Jesus and the fact he himself suffered. He was tempted, and I think it's speaking of this exact time as the Lord Jesus was himself, in a sense, being tempted. He did not want to go to the cross. 
It was God's will to him to go to the cross. Jesus persevered in that hard place uh, for this period of three hours, and he came out victorious. He came out heading to the cross, suffering for our sins and bringing salvation uh, for all of us. And uh, we're told that because of that, he is able to aid us. Now, I don't understand the intricacies of God's work, right? As far as I'm concerned, God can do anything, right? Uh, but he tells us very specifically it was because Jesus went through this trial himself and overcame that he is also able to help us overcome the trials and temptations we have in our own lives. Now, Peter and the others failed. Uh, verse 42, again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Uh, again, they fell asleep. Uh, this passage tells us that their eyes were heavy. Uh, this was probably late at night, right? Uh, I don't think I can count many times where I've prayed for a full hour. Just me, myself. I'll join the prayer meeting where together with other people we may fill up an hour. But on my own, I've never prayed a full hour. So I can't look down my spiritual nose at Peter, James, and John for failing to pray for a whole hour uh, while it was late at night. In Luke, it also tells us that uh, they were sorrowful. They fell asleep because they were sorrowful. Uh, what would it have been like to be near the Lord Jesus as he was crying out, as he was clearly suffering during this time of prayer, as he was agonizing over what was about to take place to him? What pressure would that have put on my mind as I was praying? So, you know, it's, it, again, we cannot look down our spiritual nose at Peter, James, and John as they fell asleep repeatedly here, but it's encouraging to know the Lord did not reject them just because they failed. And the Lord will not reject you and I uh, because we fail to watch and pray as he teaches us in this passage. What can be our takeaways from this passage? Uh, the first is what I've just covered. Uh, in time of, of trial, we need to pray, right? Don't rely on your own strength to overcome uh, sin, to overcome a trial. When you're in a tough spot where you know God's will and you want something else than what God wants you to do, look to the Lord in prayer. You need his help. You cannot do it by your own power. Uh, second, uh, Jesus' death uh, was necessary for your salvation uh, and mine. If Jesus asked the Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me, and the Father's answer was, it is not possible. 
There is no other way to be saved uh, without you, my son, going to the cross and, and uh, dying for the sins of all of mankind. There was no other way. There is no other way uh, to be saved but through the Lord Jesus. Uh, my last thought starts in the Old Testament. Uh, in Exodus chapter 30, you don't have to turn there. God instructs Moses regarding the erection of the tabernacle. Tabernacle was where Israel was to come and worship God. It was a structure uh, like, a, like a tent with a wall around it, and it had different vessels that the priests were going to use in order to worship the Lord. <clears throat> and he instructs uh, Moses in Exodus 30, verse 22, Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing, an ointment compound, according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And what uh, God was instructing Moses to make here was a perfume. Um, and with that perfume, he then instructs him in verse 26, With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the laver and its base, you shall consecrate them that they be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as, a priest, as priests. So God instructed Moses to make this perfume and then instructed him to anoint the whole tabernacle with this perfume and the priests and his sons with this perfume, and if you were to enter that place, you would smell perfume. That's what the tabernacle uh, would have smelled as, at least right after it was consecrated uh, for this purpose. And uh, the key, so, so you had a lot of things that gave nice smell, but uh, what held them all together uh, was olive oil. It, everything went into olive oil. The olive oil was to preserve all these good smells and to, uh, and to allow them to be spread over the tabernacle and over the priests. And uh, it made me think of Gethsemane. Remember, it's a place where you, you press the olives and you produce the oil. And it was as if God took Gethsemane and there he produced that oil, that perfume, uh, from the Lord Jesus, as the Lord Jesus submitted himself to the Father, as he was being pressed between what he wanted to do as a man and what God wanted him to do, and produced that perfect obedience to the Father, the willingness to do God's will uh, in spite of the stress uh, that he was under. Uh, it was like a sweet-smelling aroma to God. It says in Ephesians 5, 
uh, to and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. God was delighted in the Lord Jesus' willingness to be pressed to go through that stressful time at Gethsemane and offer himself to the Father uh, throughout it. And the same is true about you and me. Now, God loves us. He loved us even in our sins. But one of the things God is especially pleased with is when we go through this difficult situation, we see what we want, and we see what God wants for us, and we are willing to say with Jesus, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that delights uh, the heart of God. And, um, and uh, it uh, delights us too to uh, see God doing that in, in each and every one of our lives. Let's uh, look to him in prayer. Father, we, we thank you uh, that you allowed us to glimpse your son during this, uh, during this, these three hours at Gethsemane as he uh, uh, poured himself out and cried out to you, uh, looking at the cross of Calvary and, uh, and submitting himself to you uh, in spite of that, uh, that difficult place he was going to. And we thank you that it says that this was an act of love, an act of love uh, for us, an act of, of love uh, to you. And, uh, and we thank you that you're interested in each and every one of our lives. You want us to be victorious as we uh, faced uh, trials in our lives. And we, we uh, cry out to you that you remind us, Lord, as we go through these trials, that you are ready and able to help us through them uh, if we but cry out to you. And, uh, and we pray that we could all experience this, these moments of victory and that you might be well pleased with our lives as you were with the life of your son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.